0: Here we go, here we go, here we go, here we
1: go, here we go, here we go, this is it! This is, it. This is Top Fly Time Machine, I'm, I'm Andy Hot Body a Dawson Powerful.
0: I'm, I'm Sir Nifty Delaney, so what?
1: Uh, welcome along, this quite possibly could be the final episode of the Noel Christmas Odyssey. Um, we're looking at the uh, Noel Edmonds a live live christmas breakfast show uh which was on in 1985 christmas day bbc 1 and um approaching the end of it uh it's on youtube if you want to use those some of those keywords that i've just mentioned to search for it you can have a look for it it's yourself in its full 2 hours and 3 minutes glory uh, or just skim through to the bits that we've talked about if you want or don't even bother you know fuck um getting back to the the show itself uh, there's a jumbo jet flying around over Great Britain full of kids and the crankies and Gary Davies and uh, Paul King so Noel heads back to the plane
0: it feels Um, like it's at the moment there's a there's a vibe to it when you say it like that where (laughs) as everything comes to its like sort of climatic sort of conclusion Mm. it feels like the final act of a James Bond
1: movie Everything's coming together, with, yeah. For with Grand Noel finale. as the yeah. villain.
0: And perhaps yeah. Smitty as James Bond, I don't know. But like it's like everything. He 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 pitched it all at the beginning and he slowly mm-hmm. built it up and now it's Bedlam over Britain. There are it's, two helicopters. There is a <laughs> jumbo jet. The <laughs> there is a jumbo jet that is being commandeered by the crankies. <laughs> yeah, like Mike Smith is going bananas in a fucking weird Christmas jumpsuit that's got bells and literally got bells and whistles all over it. Right? It's yeah. um, it's fucking. There's a computer in charge of Noel that's effectively taken over Noel's mind. Yeah. This you is really like this. This is an exciting Roger Moore era James Bond movie. Noel yeah. is fucking Scaramanga, and his volcano is about to explode over everyone
1: sort of differently Some, at, at this point it, it reminds me of a plate spinning act mm. where he's got the sticks he's got the plates on top he started to spin them but he's got a little bit out of control the plates yeah. are beginning to wobble but not quite he's still on top of it those plates are still spinning he's dashing from plate to plate to keep them going why don't we have plates spinning on telly anymore another thing thing, like we
0: said on a previous episode you don't, the motorbikes that go around those circular sort of tracks, light and defy gravity, people with their heads inside the mouths of whales or dolphins, all of these things used to be staples of television schedules but no more, there was one other thing about his jumbo jet um, sort of uh, thing that he's got going on, there was a line that he said near the beginning that I don't know, sometimes I hear something and I think, Dawson will like that. And it was when he (laughs) says, there's the jumbo jet, we are going to launch it. And then he he uses this exact phrase, I made a note of it. Air traffic control have cooperated. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought of you straight away. I just thought it was quite early in the show and knowledge used the phrase air traffic control have cooperated. You will cooperate. This is on old (laughs) Edmonds. Will you cooperate? Wow, Mr. Edmonds, obviously there's various rules and regulations Will you cooperate, yes or no?
1: I intend to launch this plane regardless. You have the option to cooperate. (laughs) This is this is your final op
0: this is your final chance to cooperate, air I traffic no control. K-
1: King of the skies, you have one last chance to cooperate with me.
0: King of the airwaves and the skies. <laughs> I have managed to source a woman by the name of Merry Christmas in the Isle of Dogs. <laughs> she will be launching this plane at my behest. Do you cooperate? It's all the Who's same Who's piloting the plane? The Crankies and Gary Davis.
1: <laughs> it's all the same thing, though. The airwaves and the skies are the same thing, mm. aren't they? So he's mm. commandeered the airwaves. That's part one of his grand plan. And then he's took to the skies physically as well to dominate those <laughs> airwaves where he broadcasts his, his radio across and his TV. He's I honestly don't
0: believe he'll be happy until he is. Full time living in the skies,
1: Om- omnipotent, a god, mm. almost <laughs> yeah. living on a cloud.
0: That's what he's up to in New Zealand right now, yeah, you know,
1: probably. So anyway, back to the plane, and it's Fergal Sharky Mark Two, where he tries to mine uh, you, little thief, again, and he he pulls it off this time, and he gives it plenty.
0: I feel uh, that he not- really. I feel that it was such a fucking disaster, shit show, the first go at it. Mm -hmm. which would have been a big blow to him because this is the early stages still of his solo career. He would have seen himself... How do you think Sharky would have seen him? So when he sat down with his management and publicist in 1985 and mapped out his pop career as a solo artist, who do you think he would have referenced in terms of this is the kind of career trajectory I want us to aspire to? (laughs)
1: Who do you think? I don't know.
0: Well... He's not quite Elton, is he? He's a bit sort of hipper and more soulful, I guess, than Elton. Although it's know. a big difference, his solo uh, sort of persona from The Undertones, from isn't the it? Undertones. He went from sort of spotty punk rocker mm-hmm. to he's now. Oh, I tell you who he wants to be. He 100% has his eyes on the Paul Young market at this stage. You think? Yeah. Totally. It's blue-eyed soul, isn't
1: it? Yeah, it is. It's a bit more he's sophisticated and poppier than Paul Young, though. I think. I don't know. He's, he's got. He wants he's to be Fergal Sharky. More sophisticated than Paul Young. Yeah. Well, the, the 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 pop itself. Paul Young was on the slide by this point, eighty-five. I think. Paul Young when was, was a good
0: heart and all of that, and wherever that I lay my five, that
1: was 85. I'm oh, not a good. I hat, my hat a heart. Was, Sorry, ha- wherever I lay my hat, that,
0: that was eighty-three. Oh, okay.
1: So Young had peaked. But he, he signed the Madness's well, record he's label. Sharky signed a, Sharky in. Sharky cool. signed the Madness's record label, so he was stiff. It, no, they set their own one up called Zajaz. Oh, okay. And it was um, so he was kind of in. They were in that kind of more soulful era by that point. Yesterday's. the I, I don't main want to era, talk yeah. about Madness though, because this is the day before I was supposed to go and see them live, which I've decided not to do because of the fucking You were buried. supposed to
0: be seeing them on Thursday. Thursday. And I'm supposed to be seeing them on Saturday. And we've both made the extremely painful decision to Mm -hmm. cancel attendance Mm -hmm. at these events. Mm -hmm. A decision that in my household led to the tears. The tears of a tortured tears of a 10-year-old boy. I bet. Because it was supposed to be Len's first ever live concert with me. We had a whole (sighs) day mapped out. It was going to be West Ham, Norwich, followed by Madness and Squeeze at the O2. And an overnight stay in the hotel. Cancelled, cancelled, cancelled. Yeah. Cry, cry, cry. I'll
1: bet i I mean my two are fourteen and eighteen almost and they were, they're not happy. About cancelling. But well, they it.
0: both going into madness, not, yeah.
1: not crying, but not happy.
0: Yeah. I'm not happy. It's such a shame.
1: Yeah, but we've got to do what we've got to do. You've got to um, do what we gotta do. Anyway, so Sharky he sings the song this time, or mimes it rather. Uh, and it gives it plenty. Maybe he's expending some anger that built up from the earlier. There, there's,
0: I would say, there's <laughs> extra welly in this performance <laughs> yeah. as a result yeah. of what's happened earlier for sure. Because he, I think it's a, an ins- an insanely. I think it's a classic performance. He's on a jumbo jet, yeah. but he's not content to just stand there and give it. I'm on a jumbo jet.
1: Yeah,
0: that in itself is incredible. He starts fucking. The camera goes rogue. The camera yeah. He's making the cameraman handheld backpedal through the the aisles of the seats. And he yeah. is running forward towards the camera and there's passengers and air stewardesses and they're all fucking jumping in on him. I think he gives someone a kiss on the cheek. It is spectacular.
1: Well, he's ba- he's bouncing around in and among the kids and at one point it delivers the line you little nightmare to a mm. young girl. <laughs> Which doesn't really seem appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> but it's really good though it's so a really that. good
0: performance and I'd forgotten how much I liked that song because you remember Good yeah. Heart which I really loved that song I still do mm. and that was a massive hit wasn't it but mm. this was the follow up and it's like very often the follow up to a big definitive hit gets yeah. lost in the what do you call it the tailwind is that the right yeah, phrase yeah
1: kind of I mean this, this went top 10 it was a hit but, but it's it less just wasn't well remembered isn't it Yeah,
0: but it is a great track
1: there's um there's a story as well about the writing of the songs "A Good Heart" uh, and "You Little Thief" because did you know Mar- Maria McKee who sang yeah. "Show Me Heaven"?
0: So, which she, was from "Days of Thunder," wasn't it? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, she wrote um, "A Good Heart." Wow! And it was about her relationship with Tom Petty and the keyboard Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers keyboard player. Right, um, I was produced by Dave Stewart of the Eurythmics as well. So well, lots of big names in it. That, and then, that makes
0: a lot of sense, doesn't it?
1: So so she wrote uh, A Good Heart, and then the follow-up, You Little Thief, was written by Ben Montench, who A Good Heart was about. Wow. And it's alleged to be about his side of the relationship with Maria McKee. A McKay. reply. Yeah, well, he's denied this, but fuck that. That's (laughs) the story's too. That's an
0: amazing story.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I love that. That's brilliant. So, Maria McKay wrote a good heart. A good heart these days is hard to find. You know what? Uh,
0: I know that um, he's now, of course, remains a sort of a public figure, Sharky. He's in charge of the rivers. He's become a sort of. I feel an establishment figure. What is it? it? What is it that he's ahead of?
1: He kind no. He kind of was for a while. He worked with um, the the government department, like the cultural department, to do with like music and to do with legal affairs yeah. about music. And he was, I think, he was working yeah. for musicians, but I think he was on the side of management
0: uh, of the ch- cigar so. chomping big cheeses in yeah, their offices.
1: He'd gone to the establishment, like you say, but now he's he's pretty fucking angry about the state of the rivers, and he's a full time
0: yes fresh that's protester. It. I retweeted him recently. No, I'm back on his side again because he's yeah. alerted me to a lot of mad shit going on with the about yeah, the rivers. Yeah.
1: And he was on so, um, fucking big he,
0: up Sharky.
1: He was on gone fishing with Bob and Paul Whitehouse. Oh, was he? Having a look at a river and having a chat about music and that. A while ago, this yeah.
0: week we're going to have a look at a river with Virgo <laughs> Sharky from The Undertones. <laughs> he's he
1: currently self-appointed king of the rivers in the yeah, UK.
0: Fuck it, and good luck to him too. Who better? If Someone's I could to choose, do it. I would I would have probably chosen him off the top of my head if someone had said, yeah. hey, do you want to be King of the it's Rivers? Obvious.
1: It's obvious, isn't it?
0: Um, so- but the thing is about him is I'm interested, I suppose, reading so many of these music memoirs that we both enjoy, you get into the sort of mindset of these pop stars and, and especially in the 80s how they were... Packaged and marketed and how mm. it was all like a brand, you know. Mm-hmm. And you look at him and you think, what happened between him being in the undertones, who I sort of a kind of seemed like a spotty, angry adolescent, and becoming this sort of smoothie in a kind of a baggy designer <coughs> suit with, and this was the crucial element of his branding, mm. this incredible mid-80s floppy hairdo.
1: It's great hair, too, isn't it? It's flopping around all through this performance because
0: yeah. until then the <clears> hairstyles <throat> had been mainly spiky, lots of gel. Mm. Sometimes, you know, fucking Paul King and Gary Davis are on the same airliner, both sporting kind of late era mullets, right? Mm. But he's and, and Paul Young, who we referenced for, Eva always went for a spiky look, right? But fucking Sharky is innovating here because this is just if you if you'd bought i think arena magazine had just launched around this period and like this was what the models in the high fashion magazines were wearing this kind of like it was kind of curtains but not quite as severe as curtains and he 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 very much used it as a calling card this is the new me and he didn't just let it hang there andy he um uses it as a prop doesn't he in Flings all his dance around, moves, he?
1: yeah, yeah,
0: he's constantly flicking it and using his hand to brush it off mm. his eyes, and that's almost the, becomes his signature dance move.
1: There's, there's so much of it; it almost qualifies as hand luggage. I think on this plane, he probably had to you pay know what extra. I mean? yeah. to check it in. You're gonna went. have
0: to pay but for that, the, I'm afraid, Mister Sharky. What the fuck are you talking about? I'm <laughs> not spending it, a fucking penny on this hair. This is hair I was
1: barn with. <laughs> 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 but when he was in the Undertones, I think there was a lot of creative differences as, as it went on, and I don't think he really liked the music they were doing because the other guys wrote the music and he was just the front man. He never wrote any of the lyrics, I don't think, or anything like that.
0: So he, um, he didn't write Teenage Kicks.
1: He didn't write Teenage Kicks. No, there was the two two there were two brothers in the Undertones, and um, the um, the O'Neill brothers, and I think they went under form that Petrol Emotion afterwards. I don't know if you remember them. Oh or not. yeah. So there were the musical force behind it, and Sharky, obviously fucking brilliant voice, but he yeah. was never massively into... Um, Punk, the spiky kind of style music. music. He wanted smooth music. He wanted, it, he wanted music. to do other stuff, yeah. So it wasn't... Um,
0: I mean, it I, wasn't I, 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 as well. I'm with him. I prefer smooth music to spiky music, but I'll have a bit of both. I'm not too bothered.
1: yeah. You know, the more
0: I think about him, the more I love Fergal Sharky. What with the rivers, the hair, the smoothness, everything.
1: He's just gone from one thing to another, hasn't he? He's been uh, agile. I think He's a it.
0: renaissance man, mate.
1: He is. He is. But, like ourselves, I think yeah jalapeño here's a brief but annoying message to let you know that you wouldn't be hearing this brief but annoying message if you were a subscriber to our iron filing society patreon offering
0: for the price of a pint and a saint clements each month you can get up to four episodes a week nine months before the rest of the world gets them early access to regular episodes lots of other marvelous benefits and there's absolutely no adverts or brief but annoying messages like this that'll get right on your tics
1: Find out more and subscribe now at tftimemachine.com slash filings. Jalapeño.
0: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass-
1: Jalapeño. Anyway, let's not dwell on Fergal Shoty too much because there are other things. Um, me notes here say there's some video conferencing with a soldier in Germany. I don't even remember seeing that. Yeah, uh, it's really dull. Noel does the price draw thing again on the computer, but it's been changed a bit. He's not doing it quite so much live. It's It's been pre-drawn, and he's reading that yeah, results at like, this point. He's not going to go through that embarrassment again. Mm. There's a good bit with Jasper Carrot and the comic relief thing where he's telling a joke yes. to a room full of people and they don't they don't laugh. So he tells one, uh, instead it's about big knockers. Yeah. And they all fall about laughing and they're all holding up copies of The Sun. Yeah, this I saw was it Jasper, coming. This was Jasper Carrot's thing there, wasn't it? He would slag off Sun readers mercilessly in his act. And,
0: and <clears> I was surprised, actually, because I was thinking, well, the 80s, this was... Kelvin McKenzie's era at The Sun. This was... Yeah. People still talk about The Sun now as being influential and they talk about Murdoch and all the rest of it, but I always sort of laugh in a way because I think, well, no-one buys fucking newspapers, right? The Sun hasn't been the number one newspaper for a while. I think the Mail mm. took it over quite a few years ago. But whether you're number one, number two, or whatever the fuck you are, right, you're not really influencing people to any degree like you used to because you're not saying... But in the 80s, The the Sun was so profoundly influential. Millions and millions and millions of people bought it, right? And it was Kelvin McKenzie's heyday. So every John Pigface cliche was all based on this era of The Sun, right? Yeah. And so I was surprised because I thought it came later that people started to laugh at Sun readers and The Sun generally for being almost like a symbol of kind of ignorance. Um, And yet he did that. He did that, and he's quite a working-class <laughs> comedian in a way as well. It wasn't like yeah. one of these trendy alternative comedians there. And I was quite shocked, because it's the sort of joke you'd laugh at now, but I was thinking, God, yeah. at 85, that would have been risky, because everyone fucking read The Sun. But yeah. um, Jasper Carrot, yeah, he, he tells a joke, no one gets it, and then he goes, and then they had massive knockers, and they all laugh. Yeah. <laughs> Very <laughs>
1: that good. That was good. That was really good. Um, is it true that her
0: from the office, the one who's the secretary, is his daughter? Is that right? It, she, she is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Really old fact from Delaney there.
1: Yeah. Um, Up there
0: with me saying that time when I discovered Solange. Uh,
1: yeah. Fucking hell. There's we go back across to the Tree of glasses contest where they're building towers of trays of glasses. Um, the, the fellow in Manchester does thirty trays. Um, and then they go over to Leeds where they do 26 trays but Noel seems to think that's the winner yeah, I don't think he understands maths or heights but uh, that's not really relevant Then there's they, a bit I, of
0: me- I feel that the whole glass on trays thing is like I think they had a massive brainstorm mainly driven by Noel with a few contributions from some of the others Mm. and they came up with too many ideas which Noel would have been happy with because he thought well the more ideas the better because it makes the show more frantic Mm. but the glasses on tracing was one idea too many because they keep squeezing it in but they never Mm. really dwell on it for that long do you know what I mean? it's like when we've occasionally thought of items for podcasts for this podcast and then we kind of You're quite quickly like, set look, this is shit. I mean, I'll do it, but we'll skirt across it. It's like when (laughs) I make you do a Disney film for a deep dive. It's like, I'm happy to go along with it because we've committed to it now, but let's just try and get it out of the way as quickly as possible because it's not working, right? It's like, he's got that vibe about the glasses. He's like, yeah, I mean, I agreed to the glasses thing, but let's just get in and out.
1: He's more interested in the doors and the fried eggs and the fried eggs haven't really come off. And he's right right to be as well
0: because they are better ideas.
1: They are. So then um, we have a bit of weirdness where uh, Smitty is interviewing some, what he describes as loonies on the ground with his brick phone uh, as a camera in a helicopter films it all. So the camera's up there in the sky. Mm. Smitty's down there with his brick phone. We can all you all see is just like dots on a field and it, apparently there's a couple of fellas dancing around a haddock, but we can't say that because the camera's so high up in the sky. So yeah. that doesn't really work. It's 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 almost like the the tray of the tower of glasses on the tray it's yeah. teetering at this point. He's we piled need something. It
0: all in. He's chucked every idea he's ever had into a big fucking bucket for the crescendo. Yeah. Some stick, but some don't.
1: I think we've probably been filling a little bit because we're waiting for the Sudan link up, and that's what happens next. We got the, it, the yeah. live Sudan satellite link up, and Noel shows off the the technical feat behind it again. It's null and it's about achievement and groundbreaking yeah. stuff. And, and he's showing up to
0: other TV people as opposed yeah. to the British yeah, public. Totally.
1: He's, he's the big beast, isn't he, of TV? Yeah. He's dominating the TV jungle. He says, We've had to take a he's satellite prowling. dish to the most remote place anyone has ever moved such a <laughs> large piece of equipment. He says, We've moved <laughs> part of a satellite. To make part of this broadcasting history. You fucking cunts. We've moved a fucking satellite <laughs> in space. For Being you. That. Just so you pricks could sit at home,
0: stuff in your faces, watching these fucking African kiddies on <laughs> Christmas Day. Yeah? Do you like, are you happy now, you lazy shits?
1: And we see footage of them driving this fucking satellite across the Sudan. And I don't know who's filming the convoy. So obviously someone's gone ahead set up a camera so they can film the convoy as it makes its way. So that's a bit of a cheat, I reckon. Uh, and then we finally go live to the to the Sudan via satellite to a reporter. And do you know who that reporter is?
0: That, is it the woman? The woman. With the blonde hair? Yes. Yeah, I recognise her. She rings a bell, but I couldn't quite place her. Who is she?
1: She's called Helen Fielding. She went on to write *Bridget Jones' Diary*.
0: Fuck off!
1: Yeah, that's Helen Fielding. That's your Helen Fielding. Yeah,
0: I think in *Bridget Jones' Diary*, which I've never read, but I have seen at least one of the films. She is a news reporter in one of them because it was obviously based on her own life, wasn't it?
1: She was a researcher on *Multicolored Swap Shop*, and then later *Breakfast Show*, and then went out to Sudan to do this presenting bit. Yeah, fucking Helen Helen Fielding, Fielding, you legend! *Bridget Jones*. Yeah. And her boyfriend at the time was Richard Curtis, who, of course...
0: And Richard Curtis was the geezer who started... Comic Relief. Comic Relief.
1: That's all linked, isn't it?
0: That's interesting. I didn't know, because obviously he's married to Emma Freud now. Yeah. And um, can't say Emma Freud without thinking of hemorrhoids, can you? But, but like, yeah, I didn't realise. I thought there'd always been an item, because I was thinking about this Comic Relief thing they launched Mm. that year. And mm-hmm. I thought it was Richard Curtis and Emma Freud who, who'd launched it together. But clearly it was Fielding and Curtis. Yeah.
1: So there you go. So uh, Helen Fielding's the reporter. It's Satellite link-ups were a big thing back then. I mean, as, as we said, there was always a, a one with America on the late, late breakfast show, well, which
0: was... Jonathan King, I mean, I know we can't sort of talk about him too much these days, but Jonathan King, I always... When I think of satellite link-ups in the 80s, he's the main guy I think about. Because mm. Entertainment USA, he was always either in America talking to someone back in London, yeah. or he was in London speaking to some American. He'd always get someone huge like Tom Cruise on his satellite yeah, but link.
1: Yeah, Noel, 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 Noel did that before. He did that on the Little Breakfast Show. There was always some, some guest in America. <laughs>
0: Jonathan King. Jonathan King. Yeah. Listen, Delaney. If I hear that name fucking mentioned within a breath of mine again, I will fucking sue you and your whole family. Jonathan King is completely discredited... <laughs> for his disgusting sexual peccadillos, and as for his association with satellite link-ups, don't make me fucking laugh. He hadn't heard of them before I told him about them at a BBC luncheon in 1981.
1: So the satellite link-up was an amazing thing, I guess, and doing it in the Sudan was, was a big deal. And we said before, Noel wanted to do it somewhere where it hadn't been done before. The Hollywood link-up was fucking passé by this point. He was doing it every Saturday night. To take yeah. it to the Sudan and moving a fucking satellite in order to Fuck make it Hollywood. happen. Hollywood was uh was Fuck Hollywood.
0: I'm going big time. I'm going to the heart of famine.
1: So we have um we have Helen Fielding interviewing various people, aid workers in the Sudan, and then they have link ups between the regions where some of their family members <laughs> are, and they, they have a try and have a bit of a stilted kind of chat with their family members. They they're all dazzled and dazed yeah. by the fact that this is happening really. That they're yeah. Not really able to have a proper conversation. The first one there's one of the women in the camp and her mum is in Norwich. And at one point her mum says, She's not talking. Because <laughs> <laughs> her daughter can't really get her head around what's happening. And yeah, so Telly, yeah. so she's a bit embarrassed and self conscious anyway. And her mum's pissed off because she's not talking to her. But it's a bit boring, let's be honest. Yeah,
0: um, it's still boring, but again, it's another example of it. It's like, never mind the content, feel the technology.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And
0: you're supposed to be more astounded by the fact that it's actually happening at all as opposed yeah. to the details.
1: And with hindsight, we're not that astounded at all. Maybe we would have been back then.
0: Doesn't work um, on a twenty twenty one audience, not like the crankies nah, do, but
1: No, that's timeless. We'll get to that in a minute, but first there's another bit of comic relief um pre recorded stuff, and the best one by far for me is the Dangerous Brothers, Rick Mill and Adrian Edmondson. Yeah. Where uh they're telling a joke. To, the the theme throughout all these bits is they're telling a joke to a tough crowd, yeah. a hard to please audience, and Rick and Ed are telling a joke to uh, allegedly a Chinese mountain ant which is in a matchbox that Ed is holding, and also the ant is deaf. Uh, so <laughs> this is just great. So uh, Rick says, uh, "Sir so Adrian, could you warm up the audience, please?" It does this by striking a match and setting fire to the box that's got the ant <laughs> in it.
0: This is the sort of gag that in 1985 was really outrageous and anarchic. Yeah, yeah. But to Noel, he would have, Noel would have been seething at this.
1: Yeah. What? This isn't, They're this set is
0: They're setting fire to an ant? What the hell? Oh, and that passes for humour, <laughs> does it? I think it's disgusting and childish.
1: I realise why we have to have this on. It's comic relief, it's for a good cause, and apparently this is what the kids like. But don't mm. expect me to approve of it. Do you know what?
0: It's pathetic. That's the simplest way of me summing that up. Pathetic. These guys are a flash in the pan, trust me.
1: They're talking of pans, my idea of the fried eggs, people bringing them along is much funnier than setting fire to an ant. That's what ordinary folk in the street want to see. That's what's going to make them laugh.
0: A fried Not egg in a pan, but outdoors on a satellite. <laughs>
1: So that's brilliant. That's my favourite bit of the comic relief stuff. And we go back to the Mm. plane again, and it's the Crankies. And they're playing the game Take a Letter, which used to be on Cracker Jack, when they were on Cracker Jack back then. I'd completely forgotten about this game, where the the contestants have to take a a magnetic letter from the board, and there's a correspondent, either question to be answered, or a stunt. And the stunt invariably involved gunge, or getting messed up, or some kind of stuff like that. And it's a kid competing against Paul King from the group King. Now, each time the kid takes a a letter, he has a question to answer. Each time Paul King takes the letter, he has to do one of the stunts. So Paul King has to get an apple out of the treacle using just his mouth. He has to put on some antlers, and then he has to get an orange out of a bowl of Rice Krispies, again, just using his mouth. So Paul King gets fucking proper messed up by all this and the little kid just gets off with answering a few simple questions. So that's good fun. But,
0: um, and good and, and also well done to Paul King I felt while I was watching it because yeah this is before he good became sport. a TV presenter. He was like a cool pop star, wasn't he? Yeah. Um
1: yeah.
0: Love and Pride was that that year 85 was, was it?
1: that was yeah, that was their year basically. They had one great. Year that, that was pretty much I, it. I can't remember
0: yeah. any of their other hits. I only remember that Yeah. One. But it was great. And he was quite a cool pop star, but he's turned up on this fucking jumbo jet and he's st- sticking his face in and guns. He's getting
1: stuck in, yeah, with
0: a kid. And I think that's. I think it must have been quite good for the pop stars of that era because they were so huge. But a rite of passage for all of them, you know, as you know, mm. I've been reading this status quo book recently, and all of them did it, including them. All of them, no matter how cool they were and how famous and rich they were, the rite of passage was as part of your promo you had to go on kids TV regularly yeah. Yeah, yeah. and on the kids TV shows they would always make you muck in and do embarrassing stuff yeah. with, where the kids got to humiliate you a bit yeah. and I think that's I mean we miss that from our screens nowadays I, right? I think
1: as well though you were saying like Paul King would would have been like reluctant to do this maybe to give up his Christmas day but they'll have told him there'll be 10 million people watching this. That's 10 million potential sales. And everything's so fragmented now, you wouldn't get anything that would have that many well, views. Well, that's the
0: thing. I mean, in, in our like you know relatively limited experience in, mm. in um, broadcasting, I mean, for years I was guests on various TV shows. And to be honest, I'd always think of it as like, I'd always only think about it in terms of the money, right? Mm. It, my only question would be how much and then you'd work out the time you had to give to it and what sort of money you'd be getting in return because mm. and and that's why I always think when I look at things like this, why would they have done that what's the point yeah yeah but i'm forgetting that tv was powerful then by the time i was involved in tv it was, most shows were not that powerful
1: no you know they
0: did not not enough people were watching for it to have yeah. an impact Whereas you could just go to number one off the back of a good I mean, TV I mean, appearance,
1: even going on fucking Crackerjack or something. Crackerjack probably had five million viewers every Friday teatime of kids, so you'd yeah. go on because you know that's five million potential um, customers, if you like.
0: But it was good so, for them for their image and probably for their personality as well. Probably. Where you like, you know, if you read like um, in my the best title of a book of all time, John Taylor's autobiography in the pleasure groove.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Always get a chuckle every time and bring it up. Uh, and no. he, but when he was in the pleasure groove, he was like, so carried away with himself. Like he was doing loads of Coke. He was probably the most fancied man in the UK, if not the world. Uh, yeah. he, was, he, he was right up his own ass. Right. Yeah. And you know, he lived in a fancy like pad in Knightsbridge. He drove a Ferrari. He flew everywhere first class, all of this shit, right? But end yeah. of the day, in order to main, sustain that lifestyle, he had to turn up on Saturday Superstar half a dozen times a year and basically get gunged.
1: And it. I think that yeah.
0: re- was probably what kept him just on the right side of a complete breakdown.
1: And I think the more they did it, though, and the, the bigger they got, the more serious they'll have taken themselves and the less... There'll have been things written into the agreement of the doing these shows... Mr Taylor will not be uh, required to be within 10 feet of any gunge at any time during the broadcast Mr Taylor
0: will explicitly not be in the same room (laughs) as Trevor and Simon at any point during this recording either on or off screen
1: all questions will be pre-approved so Paul King yeah (laughs) especially those
0: posed by Chegwin
1: good sport Paul King right we'll leave it there for now because there's still lots more to do we'll have another episode of this I reckon So thank you very much and look out for the next one. Goodbye.
0: Goodbye.